ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. That sounds like a fun time. I mean, I'm into that. Yeah, and then we had bed Sounds like a Sunday night down at Hellfire. It does, doesn't it? Oh, my God, there's a 90s reference. Um, (laughs) Did you ever get slapped? Bang. On. Bon giorno. Oh, ciao Bella. Hey, big bang this week. Yeah. I feel like every bang's a big bang. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> always <laughs> They don't, they don't always have to be big bangs or great bangs. They can be fair to middling sometimes. Sometimes it's not the length of the bang, it's just how you use it, isn't it, Miff? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> but you have a very big week ahead and it's the end of an era. Mm. Finally, you are going to be coming back into the land of the living and off the stage because you're winding up after months. Six months nearly. Six uh, months. If that included rehearsals. Rocky Horror. You're doing Rocky Horror. Um, I can't believe it. Experience of a lifetime. And, yeah, it's it's finally coming to an end for me. The show goes on, as it always does, mm-hmm. around the country, but I, I called it at six months thinking, oh, that might be enough. I think I'll probably be done by then. And that is true, but it's been a huge experience and I've loved it. And I, I'm, I'm really sad because I'm going to miss my little family too because that's a long time to spend such, you know, such a big chunk of your time with a bunch of people and they'll just they'll just go fizz off somewhere else to another state and I'll I'll be here but no it's it's been great so I'm I'm really pleased What was it like eight shows a week you were doing Eight shows a week and I've learned so much about theater about performance about the people who do it then their incredible strengths um to to be able to pull that stuff off week after week, day after day, show after show, you know, five shows in a weekend, it's it's wild, and they're they're really they're so impressive, and I've I've walked away with so much more knowledge about a world I didn't really understand, and and that's been been wonderful. Well, as are you, babes. I mean, this is your first foray into musical <laughs> theatre. You can now add that to your Wikipedia page. Is there anything that Miff Warhurst can't do? She's an author. She's a broadcaster. Uh... She hosts TV shows. She is the Head of Eurovision in Australia, not the head, but one of the co-hosts of the Eurovision broadcast. You do everything and you do it with such panache and style. I'm well, not very bloody well organised. Thank you. I'm not very organised in life. So, you know, <laughs> let's say that all, that part all falls over. How's, how's your week been? It's been good, yeah. I feel like at the moment there's just a bit of a flurry, like there's lots of things happening and excitement and I kind of am in a bit of a churn, one of which we'll talk about later on in yeah. Bang On because we just realised that we're going to be um, heading along to something this weekend, oh, which is... An mm. afternoon of afternoons, a night of nights. Yeah. It's Australia's Emmys. It's Australia's night of nights. We're both Telev- going. Television's the- night of nights and globally. Logies. The Logies. I mean, finally, the Logies. This is my first time. Oh, my God. That's amazing. This is one step closer to me getting to the Oscars, which you know is my lifelong dream. I know, dream. I know. But we've already worked out we might only get there if we're publicists. Yes. But that's okay. That's okay. We're going to get there. This can is, dream. I'm can really dream. excited about this though because you've been you're a Logies veteran. You've been heaps of times. I've done it a couple of times and had a gorgeous time most of the time. Like I think the best one was when I my first time when I presented an award and I dressed like a disco ball and I had a ball and I saw everyone in Australian television back in those days that were out in the audience and it was like, oh, it was amazing and exciting. Your life flashing before your eyes. Yeah, but the first one's always your best. Um yeah, not like other things. You don't have to settle in. <laughs> You don't like to have to settle in to learn how to do it because it is. It's really exciting. You see everybody and it's fun and, yeah, it's great fun. You're going to have a ball. Do you know where you're sitting? Are you sitting near me? Uh, I don't know because I know that I'm sitting I'm sitting with the ABC tables. Yep. 
you're sitting with SBS. We'll, we'll all be up the back. <laughs> to be honest, let's be fair. Public we're, broadcasters we're at the public down broadcaster. the back. We never get the best seats. We're, no, we're nowhere near Carl Stefanovic. Put it that way. And when they come to sit at your table to do an award, it's like they've come into like the the, the, the plains of, of Africa or something. They don't know where they're going. How do we when get they there? Get they're the all back. the way down the back. Yeah, they're like, oh God, how, have we got to lead long enough to reach those people at the ABC and SBS for their camera? No, they usually don't. No, they get they get there. It's fun. It's heaps of fun. You might be in a good table. You never know. They may have changed things this year. I'm not sure. Well, it is going back to Sydney after years on your spiritual home of the Gold Coast. I know. Disappointed. Um, so. I love going to the Gold Coast. I know you do. Um, I'm very excited, though. I'm excited to get a bit of razzle-dazzle. Yeah. starts early, though. Bloody hell, 3.30. Mate, kick off. prepare yourself. It goes for about 47 hours. I'm going to need some spaces, that's for sure. Yeah. I don't want to make a fool of myself. <laughs> gonna, I'm not yeah. going to drink champagne like water as I don't often do at Don't go in events. early and hard because then you get the hangover in it and the telecast is still going. <laughs> It's that I've noticed that that has happened a couple of times. It's the like, never-ending loogies. Well, 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 whoa, yeah, they're long, they're long. Um, but Sam Pang's hosting this year. Yeah, and I love Sam. You love Sam. I love We're Sam. Big fans, I yeah. think it's going to be great. I saw him the other day actually, and he's nervous but excited. I didn't realise that there hasn't been an official host for the Logies in 11 years. Well, no one takes it on because they cop so much criticism. Everyone who's done it has just copped it. And I've always felt really awful for those people. Because it's a hard gig. It's an impossible gig. You can't please everyone and you never will. And that is the worst room to try and please people. The hardest gig, though, of the night is the warm-up guy. It is positively the most horrific job you could ever wish upon anyone your worst enemy no one listens to them ever it's awful it's usually the same delightful guy each year going come on everybody be enthusiastic (laughs) although it's at channel 7 this year it might not be the same guy but my god a room of ruder people i have never seen before they all want to catch up with each other and have dinner don't they exactly exactly so yeah you you wait go to the bathrooms you yeah and get locked out (laughs) yeah I took a I took a partner to the Logies once. It's the only time I've ever had a plus one, um, and we won that year for Spicks and Specs. Amazing! And he was in the bathroom. He missed it. <laughs> <laughs> he got locked out. Oh no! <laughs> Do they lock the doors? Yeah. They don't want people coming and going. He was in the bathroom with Brendan from a country practice. <laughs> they were having a right old chat. Not in the bathroom, locked out, I should say. They were having a right old chat, and um, yeah, that was very disappointing. I was, I was a little, I was a little, a little angry after that. Understandably, where were you? Where were you? This is my moment. This is my moment. No, it's all right. It's all right. Got over it. Well, we're going to be joining you for an early bang next week because um, I have a little TV shoot that I need to do on our usual bang on Thursdays. So we're actually going to be coming to you um, with a Tuesday bang next week. And that means that we're going to get a whole bunch of gossip coming to you fresh and maybe a little bit hungover. Thanks thanks for being unorganised. That just reminded me I've got that. (laughs) On Tuesday morning, um, that's speaking of me not having having my life together because it's chaos. It's chaos under the surface. Yeah, good. Great. See you Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> Bang on debrief of the Logies as only we can do. No, Finally, I'm, we're I'm there be together. Very well, I have to be well behaved this year. I've got, a, I've got a job the next day. I'm on an early flight. So I'll be I'll be on my – and I've done my knee. So and it, never more have I my, heard famous last words spoken. It, no, but I've done my knee so it'll be the first time I've um, – 
I won't be wearing this brace either and possibly wearing heels. So I'm a bit scared. I think I'll have to take a spare pair of shoes. Yeah, and you need to be steady on your feet. Mm. I'm also going to try and be on my best behaviour um, because I'm not nominated, but it's just an honour to be invited and yeah. I want to be <laughs> invited back. Yeah. Um, so we'll have all the Logies Dairy Brief for you in an early bang next week. We will. Miff, in much sadder news that came through this morning. A shock to see as I woke up this morning the news that Sinead O'Connor has died at the age of 56. I think by the time many Bang fam listen to this week's podcast, you'll be across this news if this is you hearing it for the first time. Mm. Um, I'm sorry if you're learning out this way. Just awful. Really, really sad. We've spoken about Sinead a few times on Bang On. We have. We're big fans of Sinead and her outspoken nature, her personality, her force of nature that she was. Um, an incredible woman. Uh, so controversial at a time when her actions now are to be deemed not controversial at all in that mm. she she tore up a picture of the Pope and was very, very vocal about the sexual abuse within the Catholic Church and she was howled down for that at the time and now we know she was right, mm. you know, and she was a powerful, powerful woman and apparently um, incredibly fun as well. Uh, she rode the highs and lows and she really struggled too um, but she was also an incredible songwriter. She was an incredible interpreter of other people's songs mm. as well. You know, Nothing Compares to You is was Prince's song originally and some say she did the superior version um, and that's hard to say as a Prince fan. Uh, I agree. Um, yeah, a great loss, a great loss and someone who struggled a lot for a long time with mental illness. It's really sad. And her son died a couple of years ago as well who was just 17, which was devastating for her, she said at the time. It's, I was not, I think, 12 when Nothing Compares to You came out. I remember um, it was such a huge song. It was pretty much her breakthrough hit. It was yeah. on her second record, but this was kind of took her out of Ireland into the world. And I just remember how omnipresent it was when I was in year seven and actually in art class we had to um, draw a, a record cover. We had a really cool art teacher and um, I chose to draw Sinead O'Connor's um, iconic face for nothing compares oh. to you. That beautiful face tilted with, of course, her yeah. shaved head. And I was kind of thinking about it this morning as all these tributes were coming through because as a little kid, it was just, it was a huge hit. And I had no idea that it was an interpretation of someone else's song. Yeah. But in the years since, I've really gotten to know Sinead through both work but also other people's connection to Sinead. I've had a number of people pick her songs in Take Fives. I remember Claudia Carvin chose that song, Mandinka, at the start of last year. And just earlier this year, um, Green Chatton, who's the lead singer of Fontaine's DC, who are also an Irish band, um, talked about Sinead and just spoke about her so beautifully. I wanted to share some of that chat when he picked her song, Troy, because it was just so gorgeous. Oh, I always want to play this song, you know. Um, <laughs> I love I, I love everything about it. Like it's influenced, it, it's even influenced chord progressions for for me. You know, just the, it begins as a relatively well structured haunting floaty tune, and then she it's like she kind of becomes completely dissatisfied with uh, singing in the key in the kind of like natural key of it. So her self expression, her her demanding to be herself, takes form in how she kind of um, starts singing all these wild notes and singing about killing dragons and stuff like that like why not you know what I mean that's the most inspiring art that, that you know you can surround yourself with I mean I love everything about her and I kind of obviously she's had an incredibly hard time 
you know, a, a lot of people turn their back on her, you know, through the years and maybe they're turning back around now and kind of realizing, you know, she was right and mm. she's a genius and uh, I'd, I'll do anything I can to sort of encourage her. He wasn't the only person to talk about that mm. too, that punk spirit of yeah. her coming out. Tim from the Charlatans, who is um, big on Twitter, talked about her being the true embodiment of the punk spirit. She did not compromise and that made her life more of a struggle. I'm hoping she has found peace. She was just a trailblazer, wasn't she? Absolutely. And she didn't care for fame. She didn't care for that destruction, which we've spoken about before, of of ripping that all down, literally ripping it all down when she ripped up that picture of the mm. Pope. It was more important to her to be a voice with her huge platform at that time for those who didn't have a voice. Mm. Um, and that's, that's power. That's uh, incredible resilience in a time where everyone is just destroying you, where not just the general public, but the music industry is blacklisting you. She was told that she could never go on that show before. Um, Even before that, she'd boycotted the Grammy Awards, saying that she didn't want to be part of a world that measures artistic ability by material success. She knew. She knew. She She knew knew way before we were having these conversations. Absolutely. And she was punished for that. So really sad. There's a lot of tributes coming through across the internet today. If you want to dig into the story of Sinead O'Connor, we've talked about this quite recently, actually. That documentary, Nothing Compares, is on SBS On Demand right now. Is it? Because I haven't seen it. Yeah, it's on SBS On Demand. I've got to watch it and I'm I'm really sad I left it to this to to watch it. It's often the case, isn't it? Yeah. And the Sinead O'Connor J-Files is also up on the ABC Listen app and, and wherever you get your podcasts too, which is a great... Um, dive into her life and and her incredible legacy. That song that um, Grian was talking about, where she just fights against her own voice, decides, I don't want to sing in these chords, I just want to break out. This is what it sounds like. The incredible voice of Sinead O'Connor. The phoenix from the Phenomenal. What a loss. It sends shivers down your spine, doesn't it? Sure does. Rest in power, rest in peace, Sinead O'Connor. And if onto a very different topic, I felt like last week when we gave our review, our reflections, spoiler free on, on Barbie, that would that be That was hard giving it spoiler free too. I found it very difficult to say much at all without giving away all the plot. So I hope you've all seen it by now. And if you haven't, what are you doing? I'm seeing it again this weekend. <laughs> I want to see it again too. The more I think about it, the more I want to see it again. I need to unpack it. I'm going with a bunch of mates. We're seeing it at one of the big screens and I'm very excited about digging into it and seeing even more layers. But I tell you what, we're not the only ones who are turning up to see it. Over <laughs> the weekend, Barbie made $377 million worldwide. Greta Woo-hoo! Gerwig made history as the biggest debut ever for a film directed by a woman. Yay. And it almost you know doubled. I think it pretty much more than doubled Oppenheimer as well. It's the biggest box office weekend of 2023 so far. Everyone was going to the cinema and it seems like everyone was going and doing the double header of Barbenheimer yeah. too. And in the spirit of Barbie in the 1980s, because that was my era, that was my golden era, 
to all the haters, to all the doubters, I bet Greta Gerwig is saying, suck it. (laughs) Suck it. She had to answer so many questions (laughs) of people who hadn't seen the film, who thought they knew it, and just sit there and patiently respond to all of their questions. And now look where she is, the top of the pile making history, breaking through that very thick glass ceiling is one of the few female film directors that gets these big jobs um, and just amazing to see it. I tell you what, conservative commentators, unsurprisingly, are not happy with this, Uh, most of the male, and they are not having the success of Barbie. It's quite funny to see, isn't it, Miff? Oh, it's brilliant. I mean, we're getting quotes coming from men left, right and centre who don't like the movie because I think essentially they're not centred. Uh, in the film, uh, unlike most movies that have been made in the history of time. They don't understand that. They don't know what to do with this. They don't know what to do with it. And Ken's not, you know, (laughs) out there saving the world. He's actually trying to destroy it. And then he doesn't even succeed at that. Magnificent performance from Ryan Gosling, though. Mm. Um, one of his best. One of his. I think he's going to get an Oscar for this. Also has like the, some of the best character development. His story arc is phenomenal in this I know. film. I don't know why the blokes feel ripped off about that because he's he's actually quite at the centre, I think, yes. of the entire film, which you'll, you'll know if you go and see it or have seen it. But, yeah, some of the comments have been amazing, like from, um, uh, you know, right-wing, usually conservative commentators and and some women as well um an alienating dangerous and perverse film is what someone said the feminist agenda will kill us all mm-hmm. they won't be happy until we are all gay was another one what yeah <laughs> who said that i don't know i don't care they don't deserve to be named a pink acid trip that feels like being slapped by lots of confusingly attractive people i like that review that sounds like a fun time <laughs> I mean, I'm into that. Yeah, and then we had Ben. Sounds Sh- like a Sunday night down at Hellfire. It does, doesn't it? Oh, my God, there's a 90s reference. Um, <laughs> did you ever get slapped? No, but I did go to Hellfire, but when it was Britpop night. But, so it was oh. like dancing to Eye on the Walrus while oh. looking at chains on the wall. <laughs> it was a, yeah, it was Shout a Shout out to my a, Queensbury Street in the 90s fans. It was a 90s <laughs> nightclub and, yeah, it, it, it was all things to all people, really. Saturday night it was nights. Britpop, Sunday night it was Hellfire. Yeah, and Hellfire was bondage and discipline, wasn't it? The Venn diagram was very small. And often the cultures, yeah, they, they intersected. So, you know, you could stay, probably stay all night and go the next day. Yeah, good. Um, but, yeah, Ben Shapiro, who's a classic uh, right-wing commentator from America, spent an entire 48 minutes shouting down the Barbie movie. And I didn't watch it. Cause terribly I'm, upset to spend that much time. Upset. Yeah, he's got so much time. And I, then I think he purchased some Barbies mm-hmm. and burnt them <laughs> while he was there, which really doesn't say a lot for... <laughs> Your message, Ben, if you're trying to tell people that this is bad, you don't don't support (laughs) the company that funded it and that it is essentially a great advertisement for, even though Greta's been clever enough to make it not necessarily an advertisement for Mattel, but... It still is, even yeah. though it's it's still critical of of Barbie itself, of the company itself. So it's actually a really interesting proposition in that sense. But oh, Ben Shapiro, really, what are you doing? He's the same guy that um, people might remember a couple of years ago when WAP, Wet Ass Pussy, came yeah. out, and he read out the lyrics <laughs> in his like podcast YouTube thing, his channel. And um, in his completely like monotone uh, flat voice, and that was remixed to the nth degree because oh. him reading out the lyrics. So that's the kind of person that we're dealing with here, who finds that uh, 
WAP is going to be the destruction of all chaste women. And guess what? We survived. And the end of feminism. Wokeness gone mad. Yeah, we survived WAP. And what he didn't survive, though, was somebody photoshopping Ken's lower half with a plastic (laughs) mound naked onto his torso in front of the Barbie uh, promo poster, which I thought was just utterly genius. So good. It's funny seeing um, a lot of people upset by this and still the reviews and the box office trumping that at every point. 90% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which we've spoken about before, is largely dominated by male critics Mm. um, just through the nature of the the users. Oh, now I know why. Because there's a Stephen Malcolmus joke. In, in the movie, and that's why they loved it. There was a little nod and a wink to little those, nod and a wink. those folk who write reviews on Rotten Tomatoes and they're Stephen Malcolmus fans from the 90s. <laughs> we know that. We love to see it. Both of these films, though, very long, and this is something that's been annoying you for a long time. If we've talked about it uh, before, we'll talk about it today. We'll talk about it because Vanity Fair have finally, finally. asked the question, why are movies so long An investigation did you ask them to commission this piece? I oh, look, I feel like it was written for me. I actually got it via Kyron Wheatley, uh, pre- former Bang Boy. Yeah. Our very first. OG. OG Bang yeah. Boy. Thank you, Kyron. Uh, he sent it to me and he said, I think this is for you. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I clicked on and. <laughs> you know me so yes, well. you know me so well. Um, and it, yeah, it basically goes through, it, it, it. It explains why movies are so long or or posits a couple of reasons. And what the article suggests is the landscape has changed in filmmaking world in Hollywood in that big name producers don't necessarily hold as much sway Mm. these days with the directors who are still deemed to be, in the traditional sense, auteurs who have that vision and they are still, you know, we still have the big names like the Spielbergs out there who can make a film any length they want and there is a lot more gravitas to a film, apparently, allegedly, I don't agree with this, that goes for three hours because it requires your time and your concentration. It's more important. So apparently it's, it's it's more of an important illustration of their their incredible work and to cut it would be considered un, unseemly and the producers apparently don't have that history of kind of shoving in and nudging them and saying hey this is too long or this has got to be cut there's more competition too you haven't just got the studios now you've got the streaming services right. so if someone says hey martin scorsese whose new film killers of the flower moon i think mm. goes for three and a half hours and too that- long Will, you are not watching that, that will screen on cinema screens because then it's eligible for the Oscars and I'm sure he'll win them all. But that's, an I think, Apple TV production. So it's then going to be on streaming services. So if someone says to him, a producer says, hey, Marty, uh, too long, he'll just be like, cool, all right, I'll just take it to Netflix then. You know, they can shop it around because the power of the auteur, of the director, Mm. doesn't go over the power of them to choose which streaming service they then bring their work to and of course that's a huge revenue raiser mm. for said streaming services so I, that power is really the power dynamic has shifted I, but yeah. I get the gravitas of a three-hour film made by somebody with the experience of Scorsese I, I kind of get that because that's the history the film history that they come from and we understand that he's always them. done that we understand that from them and and there is effort and there is thought in every shot and every scene not to say there is any less effort but oh my god Mission Impossible that goes for three and a half hours no 
Especially because no. there's no story development. Exactly. It's exactly the same fucking story. Exhausting amount of action. The same amount of action that is just magnificent. I'm not going to say it's not, but we don't need it for three and a half hours. Don't be putting, don't be comparing these three and a half hour films, I guess, by the auteurs with something like that. I just don't think it matches, you know, and the Marvel films that just go for so long and have so much action. It's too much action. It's a. It's you need a, an eye bath after that. It's yeah. just like, whoa. It's a freaking, it's based on a cartoon. Go easy. I ain't got time for that. Cartoons I read on the toilet when they're in magazine form, you know? <laughs> Come on. I found this piece really interesting. One of the other things that I picked out from it, which I thought was interesting, that the like streaming TikTok and everything else in our culture has rewired our brains to respond to just shorter and shorter bursts of content. We've acknowledged this before. Hard to read long books. Mm. Hard to sort of focus on things and not double screen. Like we, our brains have been rewired relatively recently to just be interested in shorter forms. Fifteen seconds on TikTok, and because we've adapted to these new rhythms of storytelling, then a three-hour movie can be kind of painful to watch. Mm. But it's interesting when you think about this, and I want to just throw in a bit of a devil's advocate here. You think about okay, three-hour movie too long, but I will absolutely lob in for a 40-hour TV series and I will watch it all. Granted, not all at once, but you'll commit that time to a TV series. And Zoe Williams wrote about this in The Guardian this week, asking about whether Barbenheimer can bring cinema back, that we've gotten so used to a story needing 40 hours to be told, something like Breaking Bad where the development and the exposition of a character like Walter White needs all of that time to completely unveil. What about if we just do that in two and a half, three hours? It is possible. The character development of Robert J. Oppenheimer in Oppenheimer is phenomenal. It's so well done. Yes, it takes three hours, but they (laughs) get there. And it's not 40 hours of television. And I kind of like this. If you reframe it and think, well, we talk about how long movies are, but then we're absolutely ready to lob into these series that take years to finish, years to consume, or if you're binging them after the fact, hours and hours, weeks and weeks. But I think it's a different viewing experience. Like three hours sitting in in a darkened room, in one spot where you can't put your legs up, where you can't check your messages on your phone, where you can't go out to the toilet or you'll miss an important bit. I think that's very different to 40 hours of watching something in your bedroom at night on a computer or on your telly, falling asleep, going back, rewinding. <laughs> well, where it's was a very I, personal where experience you're talking to, about right now. Where was I up to? <laughs> what, what, and then, you know, missing bits and maybe missing a couple of episodes and catching up going, oh, shit, I missed that, but I'll still make sense of it if I just keep going. Yeah. And then not watching the end of it if you don't watch the end of it. Not in my case. Which is me. <laughs> Because, you know, I love the Americans, but I still haven't seen the final two series. And oh, that was, mate! And that was when I was an early adopter. That was one of my favourite television series and I still haven't finished it. No, you've moved on. So I do think the, the stuff made for streaming is a different – it requires less of you in a sense because there is more exposition in the script. Mm. So you can, you can dip in and dip out, whereas if you miss a bit in a film because it is a shorter exposition, you can't afford to miss it. Perfect example is Oppenheimer. I went out for a toilet break because I bloody needed to because it goes for three hours, and I reckon I was gone for three minutes, and I reckoned I, and I reckon I lost a year of story. Oh, in see, that's three not minutes. unacceptable. It's that wouldn't so happen. Dense. That wouldn't happen in series seventy-four of 
whatever you're watching now, you know exactly what's going on. Well, you know what? Julie, who's Bang Fam, has emailed us with a solution, and I love this. I've seen this mentioned a couple of times, but shout-outs to Julie who told us about it first. There is an app for people who run into this problem. It is called Run P. And it's an app that Julie and her husband use. Basically, you use it to look up a movie and it tells you when the best time is to pop out for a toilet break. (laughs) It gives you all the info you need so you don't miss any important storyline. So it's not necessarily down moments in the film or whatever. It's just the moment where there's the least amount of story exposition Mm. and then's the time to go and, you know, have a waz and then come back and you can be like, cool, what, what did I miss? Okay, great. You just check it. Well, you take your phone with you and read it while you're on it. It takes more time, though, when you're on the toilet. You're like missing the film while you're catching up on the bit. That it's like, you know, eating itself there. I love it though. Anyway, That's run pee up. I'll put that in the show notes. I'll forget to do it. I'll know about it and forget to do it when I go to Oppenheimer eventually. <laughs> but you're never you. going to see Oppenheimer. Let's no, be honest. No, actually I'm never going to see it. <laughs> no. Speaking of great cinema, do you remember Cocaine Bear Myth? Well, I still haven't seen it. <laughs> But I will see it, I promise you. Um, I'm overwhelmed by culture at the moment. Not that Cocaine Bear was culture, let's be honest. No, it was good. It's good culture, but um, I haven't seen it, so well, I feel a bit bad about that. But, but you know the basic story. I know the basic story. Bear eats cocaine from a plane crash that was supposed to be going off to a market somewhere, an illegal market somewhere, and Bear goes crazy, runs wild, and kills people. Yeah, so the real story is that this part, the first part of it did happen, there was a cartel that dropped a bunch of cocaine in um, a forest and then a bear found it, ate the cocaine and died. Mm. Who was, was it Chris Christopherson who owns, Waylon Jennings? Who Waylon own, Jennings owned, owned the cocaine co- bear for the a actual while stuffed and, cocaine and popped bear. a hat on him because, yeah, <laughs> uh, there's photos of him wearing a Waylon Jennings hat, I think. Yep. So the whole part of that movie that followed is obviously all made up, but it made for a very funny movie. This week in the news... If you saw the headline, Cocaine Shark, then you weren't mistaken because the same thing is happening at the moment in Florida. Basically, the Discovery Channel in the States, which is part of the Disney network, Mm -hmm. has this thing called Shark Week and they just do a whole bunch of programming around sharks because sharks are the best. Yeah, Everyone loves sharks. Well, not everyone. I like sharks. (laughs) And we like the title Shark Week because it's funny. Yeah, it's funny. Um, And one of the shows is a documentary about cocaine sharks, which is a great way to pull people into a documentary about something that is quite serious. Basically, bales of cocaine from South and Central America are being dumped in the ocean to be picked up by drug smugglers on boats. But that sometimes ends up on the shores of Florida beaches. And a marine biologist has said that numerous fishermen have claimed to have witnessed sharks eating (gasps) bales of cocaine in Florida. And then when he went to investigate... As a part of this documentary, he found the sharks were starting to behave a little bit strangely. Uh, they started to do things like a hammerhead shark in Florida moved erratically towards divers, even though it's a species that usually swims away from humans. He wants more bag. <laughs> <laughs> he's at the after party and he's been there too long and he wants more. Got got bags. <laughs> Says the hammerhead shark. He's already, he's, his eyes are out the side of his face. He's already pretty off his face, obviously. Corinna Bang Babe has just got her hands over her face. She's not angry. She's just disappointed right now. Oh. They've put fake cocaine bales to see if they put them in the ocean, if and the sharks go for them. And apparently they've smell? been very keen. Can they smell it? 
Do they have noses? I don't know. Is that a really weird question to ask? I don't know. Any marine biologist, bang fam, let us know. Yeah, I suspect they can't smell. I mean, it is serious though because it's very unsafe to dump anything into the ocean that mm. is foreign, but particularly bales of cocaine. That's right. And I think it's a brilliant way to get people to think about this issue and watch a documentary on the Discovery Channel by naming it Cocaine, cocaine Sharks. Sharks. Very, very clever. When is I the wish... film going to be made though? This is what I want to know. We've had snakes on a plane, we have had cocaine bear, and now we've had anaconda cocaine sharks is surely in development right now oh it would want to be the world is waiting for a new terror and jaws <laughs> jaws is still around we can watch that and be terrified but i think taking that to the next level not just an, an angry shark but this one a high shark is just going to take it next level i can't wait a logie shark yeah Imagine if someone turns up to the Logies in a shark shark outfit. I like Katy Perry at the Super Bowl. Oh my God, left shark. Left shark. Never forget left shark. Never forget left shark. Who did the dance? If someone does that at the Logies, I'll just look at them and go, I know what you're doing here. Yeah. I know the message you're sending. We know you. Amazing. I think that this is going to be airing on Australian uh, screens later this year if you're curious on Disney Plus, I imagine. Um, but yeah, Cocaine Sharks, well done, Discovery Channel. You yeah. absolutely got me. You sent me a really good piece this week about wellness culture and particularly celebrity skincare this oh, week. Yeah. It feels like everyone's got a skincare range these days. Well, that's the thing. And this article's really interesting by Jill Filipovic uh, in that it posits uh, a theory that we can no longer talk about diet culture and that that pressure on women to do good, be better, has now fallen into skincare. So the focus has come off our bodies in the media and in the way we see women to now it, it's still there. So the focus is still there and we're still expected to work really hard, but it is coming through skincare and the amount of things you need to do to look well. And um, yeah, the headline's great. It says, wellness culture has partly replaced beauty culture, but I'm suspicious. And the article then goes through and explains why she is suspicious. And I think they're all very, very valid reasons, actually. And I hadn't even thought about that until I read this article. There's that idea as well that we have to think about all this stuff but also still make it effortless and oh. we're kind of caught in this catch-22. Totally. That uh, we judge women, as this writer says, we judge women for ageing or having imperfect bodies or features and then we judge them if they do something too obvious to change it. We demand famous women walk on the impossible tightrope between aspirational and accessible you know, and there's this idea reinforced that women are supposed to be beautiful and thin and young and sexy and we should, of course, do things that please men, which apparently includes eating copious amounts of fast food, but it should also be very easy and natural for us and require no obvious sacrifice. And that's the kind of thing, all this sort of stuff where we talk a lot about body positivity and natural looks and all that kind of stuff, but it's still a huge amount of work required to go into it and also the other thing that's invisible is that a lot of these celebrities have dermatologists absolutely and it's expensive assistants. skincare they're not just putting on a 20 dollars thing from priceline yeah they're not they've got help. natural glow yeah they've got help yeah so it it seems again another unrealistic standard by which we are busily trying to catch up on and yet there's no way we ever will well, Goop has created a whole business and a whole empire around that, haven't they? Yeah. This idea that it's something to do with the betterment of us, but it's really just like 
It's that, again, that catch-22 of um, thinking about how we present to the world and spending a shit ton of money mm. while also um, letting people know that we're not really making that much effort at all. Yeah. It's hard work, isn't it? It's a lot of effort. And you think about celebrities, they've got dietitians, so they don't, you know, if they need to trim down for a movie role, they've got personal trainers, all those things that would help motivate you. So therefore it is difficult if you if you want to choose that path. It's not necessarily easy. And same with skin skincare. Uh, if you want to look like somebody who's in Hollywood in their 50s, they don't look like women in their 50s, mm. let's be honest. It's mm. a lot of work mm. and a lot of pain too in some instances. There's a really good read. I'll put that in the show notes. I think we're going to see a lot of beautiful faces at the Logies this weekend. What are you going to I'll wear? I'll see yours. I'll see yours as well. Yeah. Um, you, you're not going to tell me what you're going to wear though, are you? Oh, I've just got a, couple a of, I've got a couple of options on the go at this point. Um, I haven't decided. I'm not very good at deciding. Um, <laughs> yeah. You'd have a few fancy frocks. I've got a few fancy frocks actually. I've got a few Eurovision frocks that uh, haven't been worn. So I've got a few choices. I'm looking forward to your shoe wear as well. You always well, you always no, wear a, a, a bright shoe. I, it'll be the first time I won't be wearing the brace on my knee. So I need to... A flat shoe. I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to do it. A sturdy I'm, heel I'm is what you little, need. I'm actually a little bit worried about the shoe. I haven't purchased the shoe as yet because I don't know how... I'm going to go. Do you need a bedazzled cane to oh, help you? Oh, my God. That'd, that'd be, be nice. Amazing. That'd be nice. What are you going to wear? I'm going to um, reuse a sparkly dress that I have worn previously on an ABC New Year's. Oh, yeah. I wish I could say it was because I am um, making a stand against fast fashion. It's because I was asked to the Logies last week and yeah. I don't have time to find another also, dress. Also, CBS. But also, how many times do we wear these wear dresses? We wear them more than once. This is the perfect chance yeah. to reuse, recycle re-razzle-dazzle and I'm going to be whipping one of those out. So I'm excited. And look, unless you're getting dressed by a network, it's expensive. Very expensive. It's hugely expensive to frock up for the Logies. To, oh, I thought you said something else. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what? I don't know what you meant. You'll, you'll hear how expensive it is for us to fuck up after the oh. Logies on Tuesday's edition oh, of Bang On. already fucked. It's fine. <laughs> That All doesn't right. matter. What are you banging on about this um, week, What then? am I banging on about this week? Oh, my God. Well, I found a podcast. I don't know who recommended it to me. I read it somewhere over the weekend and I thought, I'll give that a go. That sounds like a hoot. Um, and I've got to say, it's a hoot. It's true crime like you've never heard it before. Oh. It is the tale of two women who are who got married on a boat in Amsterdam, it was a it was a cruise, um, and uh, these two women are, are, are beautifully articulate, funny English women with beautiful accents, uh, and there is a crime happens on this boat, and this crime is 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 not ordinary at all during the course of the wedding. So they know exactly who is on the boat. So they need to narrow it down who committed this crime. So they've en enrolled somebody called Lauren Kilby, who's a New Zealander, isn't a professional detective. Um, she's an expert on this case. She likes to think she's a detective. She's an Amsterdam-based freelance producer and uh, she's very, uh, very serious. And her New Zealand accent just sounds beautiful amongst the, the English accents because, you know, it sounds very like matter of fact that we're getting this done and that kind of tone. But the crime itself, and I'll give it to you via the title of the podcast, is Who Shat on the Floor at My Wedding? <laughs> and I'm up to episode 
episode seven. On the floor. On the floor. They've done seven, eight episodes or something. I'm almost there to finding out who shat on the floor at their wedding. Eight episodes and they still don't know. Still, don't, I don't know. I'm about to find out. I bet that... The best bit about this podcast is it's just like it's true crime, you know. But they're they're using all the all the tropes of true crime. I mean, the, how many people were the on the boat? It was about eighty people okay, on the good. boat, so there's a lot to. It's like a whole new clue, though, isn't break it? it? Down, but it's somebody did a poo on the floor in the women's toilets, but like on the floor, just and it's just sort of brought it outside. Somebody cleaned it up, and you know, and and the two women who got married have a fair point. Uh, their reputations are at stake. If someone thinks that they're the time Type of couple that it's okay to shit on the floor at their wedding, then they knock it. They're going to lose work. They need to solve this. They need to solve this issue. And and I'm sorry, but some of it gets a bit bogged down. I've got to say, I'm like, hurry up, come on, let's get here because you know me and bogged time. down, eh? Me and time. Yeah, see what I did there. Um, it does get a little bogged down, but I love it. There's just so much. Just <laughs> sniggering and giggling, and it's all in there, and it's it's gorgeous. And I'm having a, a really nice time taking my brain somewhere that else. Is it one. is an absolute waste of time. <laughs> and again, I love it for that reason. So um, yeah, if you want a waste of time that will give you nothing really other than a good little giggle, and also you know it does bring up a lot of stuff about shame, and. Um, about, you know, fears or, oh, God, that's what, that would be my worst fear or someone thought I did that, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but it's um, it's very, very funny and I'm dying to find out who shat on the floor at the <laughs> wedding. I'm just dying. So am I. I know. So there you go. That, well, thank that's you. That's something for me to listen to on yeah. the uh, the flight up to Sydney as I get ready for the Logies. Just prime <laughs> me for whatever happens. What are you banging on about? I'm banging on about a great book. I don't know if you've ever read anything by Kate Legg, who is a Melbourne-based journalist who wrote this beautiful book. I think it was released earlier this year called Infidelity and Other Affairs. It's a book of essays. Very personal um, because it is from her perspective as a journalist. And if you think about a journalist, someone who wants to solve a problem to research, to find the answers. But she's actually looking at whether infidelity, cheating, can be inherited, whether it's based on nature or nurture. And that's because her husband of many years, decades, cheats on her and then her son cheats on his wife. And she's wondering about this kind of, is it possible that this is something that can be a learned or genetic behaviour? Which is an interesting way to look at it. But she goes through this personal history of her husband's family. Um, And then in the second part of the book, of these essays, she focuses back on herself, on her family, on her own blood kin. And that part of the book is about identity and ageing and about life, you know, about life's contradictions, its beauties. It's just like I've never read her writing before and she's such a beautiful writer and it is so raw and vulnerable. And I don't like using those words flippantly because I feel like it's a bit naff, but it's true. Like it's just so compelling because it takes a lot to talk about this stuff in such a public way and she does it so beautifully and also with a lot of a lot of heart. Like there's a lot of kindness in the book. Um, it's some of it's written through the pandemic, which you can really feel keenly, particularly if you've been in a place that's experienced lockdowns and you've sort of uh, lost control of your surroundings, your your abilities to do certain things, and also your connections to people, um, control in general. But yeah, it's um, it's amazing. It's so good. I loved it. Wow. So infidelity and other affairs. I've had it on my shelf for ages. 
and I've been thinking, oh, I should read that, and I just loved it, loved oh, it. Oh, fantastic. So good. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Great. I'm glad I could bring you the high-quality stuff. <laughs> That's what I love about you, babes. That's what Bang On's all about. There is no highbrow and low bar. No. It's just all this, the shit, literally, that we're into <laughs> that week. And what another big week it's been. Um, yeah. I will see you in a couple of days yes. on the red carpet. Maybe hobbling, maybe not, in a, in a, bra- <laughs> in a knee brace, maybe not. I'm going to give it a go without it. You can lean on me, babes. If you need, to, if you need me I? to um, take your arm and walk down the red carpet, I'm here for you. Yeah. And I'll see you in the public broadcasters' tables at the back <laughs> of the room. Back. <laughs> Making an absolute racket. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. On. Lewis Hobart, wasn't that a fantastic episode of Bang On? God, it sure was, Michael Hing, my co-host of the new ABC Listen podcast, Silver Bullet. Now, unfortunately, listening to Zan and Miff, right, two people who are funny and intelligent and have their lives together, has been a crushing reminder to me about what a mess my life is. Oh, yeah. But luckily, fixing that is what we do on Silver Bullet. Each week, we have an incredible guest on, and that person tells us what makes their life better. Then, Hingers, you and I try it, and we hope it works for us. Whether it's Bikram Yoga with Grace Tame or jaw massages with Abby Chatfield. Frankly, not every idea is a good one. But statistically, if we keep trying, one of them will work. That's Silver Bullet with Hobber and Hing. Follow us on ABC Listen.